Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are together again for our Friday afternoon Arab Shabbat class. Uh, our share with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida and the spiritual spearhead of the Emisphere program, which is doing so many wonderful things. Today, we will have the, the, the pleasure of enjoying yet again the Henry and Lina Manusheri Parsha Shir on Parsha's Vayishlach. We thank them for becoming marquee regular sponsor of the, the Shir, in addition to all our other sponsors for months and special occasions. Today, the rabbi will be discussing Parsha's Vayishlach, Shechem, Hamas, hostages, very current and very much covered in the Parsha, the wisdom of deception, question mark, and building true Jewish homes. Month of Kislev is sponsored by Alex and Chava Man and family in honor and appreciation of all the women learning initiatives in presidential estates in Aventura. This week is dedicated also to the birthday of David Man, Mazal Tov to him. Uh, may our learning bring comfort to those who are struggling in Eretz Yisrael and uh, and shalom to the Jewish people around the world. Rabbi Akiva Zweig. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a joy to be with you and uh, welcome you to the parsha share that uh, we are happy to host in the name of Henry and Lisa Menasheri. We hope that uh, everyone not only enjoys the shear, but that uh, you spread the word to your friends and continue to bring people closer to the Torah, as that is one of the most important things that we can do in all times, but especially nowadays. So Aaron Yehuda mentioned the titles and the topics for today's class, Hamas, hostages, building true Jewish homes, the wisdom of deception with a question mark. And so what I'd like to do is take us into a bit of a deep dive into the story of Shechem and Dina is being taken as a captive, violated, and a very, very incredible exchange that happens in the Torah at the end of this story between Yaakov and his children. So the short summary version, before we go a little bit nitty gritty into the sentences, is that Dina goes out and she looks among the daughters of the land, Shechem, who is the prince of the land. Shechem's father's name is Chamor, which means donkey, which is itself instructive. He takes her, he lies with her, and he, in some fashion, causes her pain or abuses her. The word in the Torah is by Aneha. Okay, then the Torah continues that the soul of Shechem cleaves to Dina, right, is really, really connected to Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, he loves the Na'ara. He speaks on the heart of the Na'ara. He's appeasing her. He's developing a relationship with her. And Shechem says to his father, get me this girl as a wife, which is also interesting, right? Take from me this girl as a wife. And then, of course, there's a conversation with Shechem and Chamor, with Yaakov and the children, of course, the sons are extremely upset about what happened. Chamor, the father of Shechem, speaks to them and says, listen, my, my son wants your daughter. Give her to me, to, to, to my son, 
Shechem as a wife, and we will be marrying together. Your daughters you will give to us, our daughters you will take for yourselves. Okay, I'm going to skip now more of the sentences and just say the end of the story is that the, the children of Yaakov offer that if the people of the city of Shechem will circumcise all their males, just like us, the Jewish people, then indeed we will join together, we'll do business together, we'll marry each other, etc., etc. Then Shechem and Chamor tell that to the people of Shechem, and they say, listen, this is a great deal, let's do this. They all agree to do this, they all agree to circumcise, and on the third day, when they're in the midst of their most serious pain, where we learn from this that the third day of a surgery is always the most painful and difficult, on that day, Shimon and Levi come and vanquish the city of Shechem. There is a question if the rest of the brothers joined or not. Maybe yes, maybe no, for which part, different, different problem. And then they take all of their booty, all of their possessions, and they kill, they kill all the children. I'm sorry, they kill all the males, and they take as captives the children and the wives and everything else that was in the homes of the people. And here's the exchange to which I referred before. Yaakov says to Shimon and Levi, you have ruined me to make me smelly, to make me stink. That's what the word ba'ash means, to make me stink. If, or, if you want a reference point, when the Nile River turned to blood in Egypt, when all the fish died, that's the word that the Torah uses to describe the after smell, right? It stinks to high heaven, right? You have made me stink in the eyes of the people of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I'm just a few people. They're going to gather against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, me and my household. That's what Yaakov says to Shimon and Levi. You have ruined me. You have made me stink. The people are going to gather against me and destroy me and my household. And they respond with the rejoinder, can our sister be made into a zona, into a prostitute? Close curtain. That's the end of the story. Now, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to go back into the sentences because what we're going to see is that when we pay attention to the actual words of the Torah, great secrets are revealed. But for right now, let's just take an overview look and ask the following question. It's clear that Yaakov and his children argue if this was the right thing to do or not. But it's equally clear that the Torah does not tell us what is the right thing to do. Not before and not after. We have no messaging in the Torah that Shimon and Levi were ultimately wrong in what they did except that Yaakov, at the time of the blessings of his children, curses the anger of Shimon and Levi. But it never says that Hashem said that Shimon and Levi were terrible people for what they did. And let's not forget that, of course, their names are on the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. They are considered tribes of the Jewish people, and they are very, very important to our nation. And the last thing that the Torah says is their response. Can Dina be made into a Zona? So it's amazing to observe that really the question of how to deal with the city of Shechem, with the people of Shechem, with the leaders of Shechem lives in the Torah 
in the dialectic. We have to consider both options and we don't come to a clear conclusion. So my question is, okay, is that really what the Torah wants us to walk away with? Yes, Israel should continue the war and destroy Hamas. No, Israel has to wait for all the hostages to get released. Everybody's question is our Parsha. What's the right way to deal with this situation? And this is a great point that I'm about to mention in the name of Rabbi Emanuel Rachman, Zichrono Levracha, that his son has shared with me a couple of times. And the point that he makes is, let's remember that when Hamor and Shechem come to negotiate for Dina's hand in marriage, she's still a captive. She's still a hostage. They didn't give her back and then say, okay, you know, what happened happened. Here she is. Let's talk marriage and business. That didn't happen. They're holding on to her. So clearly we are dealing with a very, very identical situation in this parsha as in current times. And the question that I'm really bothered by is what does the Torah want us to do? What's the end of the story? What's the right thing? Isn't that everybody's question? Now, let's go back to the storyline itself. Here we go. Oh, I'm sorry, just give me one second. So what I'd like to do is point out really some of the exact wording that the Torah uses. Let's be very careful how we read sentences. After Shechem says to his father, Hamor, hey, look, let's make a deal. Get me and this girl to become a wife. And they then go to speak to Yaakov and his children. This is what Hamor says to them. My, my son greatly desires, his soul greatly desires your daughter, plural. Give her to him as a wife. And and marry us. You guys, you people, you marry us. Your daughters you will give to us. Our daughters you will take for yourselves. Your daughters you will give to us. Our daughters, you will take for yourselves. Who's making the decisions on the daughters? In that phrasing, who's making the decisions? Obviously, who's making the decisions are Yaakov and his children. And then he goes on to say, and you'll dwell with us. The land will be in front of you. You'll do business in it. You'll take hold in it. Okay. So Shechem says, whatever you want, I'll do. That's what Shechem, the, the, the prospective groom says, and by the way, whatever you want, I'll do. I'll give you whatever dowry you want. Fine. Just give me this young girl as a wife. The children of Yaakov answer Shechem and Hamor, Bimirma. That's the Hebrew word. The word Bimirma means with trickery, except that here and in a couple other places in the Torah, like, for example, by Esav, the rabbis say, actually, we need to translate the word Bimirma as with wisdom which is what you would say is highly convenient. But really, the word means trickery. And so, of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, you know, yeah, let's paint it, you know, with rose-colored, you know, glasses, that it was with wisdom. 
but it really means trickery. Why is the Torah using the word for wisdom, a word that means trickery? You have to ask that question. Okay, but they answer bimirma, with wisdom. We'll translate it now. And specifically, they're answering the people that had defiled Dina, their sister. That's what the Torah says. And they said, listen, we can't do, we cannot do what you're asking because it's a degradation for us that our sister should be married to a man that has a foreskin. That is a shameful thing for us. The fact of our sister being married to a man that has a foreskin, that's impossible. That can't happen. But with this, we will accede to your request if you will be like us to circumcise everyone the male children, and we will give our daughters to you, and your daughters we will take for ourselves, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one nation. But if you don't listen to us to circumcise, we're going to take our daughter and go. That's what they say. So, Hamor and his father was very good. They were very happy with that. The Torah says their eyes were, it was good in their eyes. And they did not delay, the, the, the Shechem did not delay in this matter at all because he really wanted the daughter of Yaakov. And he was the most honorable. Shechem was the most honorable, I guess. That's who we're talking about from all the kids that Hamor had. So Hamor and Shechem come to the gate of their city, which, you know, today we call that the square, the town square, right? Where big important conversations happen. And they speak to the men of their city saying, these men, they are complete with us, meaning they are trying to get along with us. They will live in our land, they will do business in it, and the land will be in front of them and it will be good for us. Our daughters, we will give to them and we will take from them their daughters. Actually, the orders, we will take from them, that's what Hamor is saying, and Shechem are saying to the people of then. we will take their daughters, and our daughters we will give to them. Who's in charge? They're in charge. Did they change the deal? 100%, right? But the only way that this is going to happen, that they're going to dwell with us, is when we circumcise all of our males like they are circumcised. And then they say their cattle, their possessions, and all their animals, won't it be ours? Let's just agree to them and they'll dwell with us. We're going to do a takeover, is exactly what they're telling the people of the town. We're going to take them over. And they listened to Shechamor and Shechem, and they circumcised all the males. And then on the third day, Shimon and Levi came and wiped them out. So now we understand very well the wisdom of their trickery. What Shimon and Levi and the children of Yahoo proposed as the litmus test was a way to demonstrate the truth of their intention. They very cleverly and correctly with wisdom set up a test whereby it would become clear if the true intentions of Hamor and Shechem was to become like the Jewish people, or if the true intention was for the Jewish people to become like them. Yeah, okay, so we're going to have circumcision. Big deal. At the end of the day, everything they have is going to belong to us. Their daughters, 
are ours for the taking. We will decide who we give to them. So, of course, that's a takeover of the Jewish nation. And that is also very appealing to Hamor Shechem and to the people of the town. That's a brilliant, wise trick. Because it's not deceitful in the sense that it was true had they paid attention to what the deal was supposed to be and carry it out. But, you know, the children of Yaakov are no slouches, and they knew that if they wouldn't carry it out this way, then they would be proving what the true intentions of Hamor and Shechem actually were, which was to take them over. Great. Now, for this, they are killed. We don't, I don't want to get into now so much what's the justification for killing all of them, that's a big, big discussion in the early commentaries. But essentially, the justification is that they're wicked people for various reasons. And as we are understanding, they were actually out to take over the Jewish people. And it's very unlikely that if the children of Yaakov would have said, listen, you changed the deal. Let's have Dina come, right? And uh, we're going to go on our merry way. It's very likely that they're not going to be giving over Dina or allowing them to go on their merry way. Okay, so I think that's enough to understand what they're doing. But now we go to what's the conclusion, which is the question that we started. What was the right way to deal with that? And the Torah doesn't seem to answer the question. What they did was a brilliant ploy, and it makes total sense why it's wisdom, because to uncover the deceitful nature of people that are trying to deceive you is not only allowed, it's a very smart thing to do. That's what we need to do. Like tunnels underneath hospitals. Let's get real. That's what they're doing, right? To have weapons factories and caches and terrorists popping out of ambulances and hospitals, blah, 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 right? We got to, you know, get real. That That's the truth of these quote-unquote freedom fighters. Okay. But why doesn't the Torah tell us that what they did was the right thing to do? Why does Yaakov say, do you know what you did to me? You made me stink in the eyes of the nations of the world. They're going to come for me and they're going to destroy me and my household. Why, why doesn't the Torah tell us more clearly that either the children of Yaakov are correct in what they did or they're wrong in what they did? And so here I'd like to propose what is something that hopefully we can learn from today. And it's rather simple, but I think it might be true. I'm hoping that this is what, uh, you know, something credible to learn from the Torah. And that is simple. One thing that's clear that they didn't do, and when I say they didn't do, I mean the children of Yaakov, is they did not collaborate with Yaakov on their plan. That's for sure. They did not state clearly to Yaakov and say, okay, listen, that's a very interesting proposal. We'll get back to you and have a conversation with Yaakov. They immediately laid it out in front of Yaakov, in front of Hamor and Shechem. This is the plan. Boom. They did not talk and discuss and strategize with Yaakov. And that is a terrible mistake. So then the question becomes, well, what would have changed? Would Yaakov have said, listen, we can work with these people? Yaakov said, no, you know, these people are really honorable and their intentions are good. You shouldn't do this trick. What would Yaakov have said? Well, let's look at what Yaakov did say. What Yaakov said was, you did not do the wrong thing, but you made me smell 
in the eyes of the media. That's what he said. He never said what you did was wrong. Even in Parshas Vayichi, when he curses Shimon and Levi, he curses their anger. He never says that what they did was wrong. But you know what you did? You made me stink to high heaven in front of all the rest of the people of the land. And that's something from which I cannot recover. So what should we have done? We know their true intentions. We proved it to ourselves. Boy, nobody else is going to know that. What's the rest of the world going to think? They went to, you know, the city of Shechem. Maybe they'll hear that Dina was violated and abducted. More likely, the worst that they would hear is, you know, Shechem and Dina, they really got along. It was a little rocky at the beginning, but, you know, they really got along, you know, after that. And then, you know, this incense, you know, the Jewish people, and they just came and wiped everybody out. That's what people are going to say. So, therefore, I suggest... Yeah, um, I'm just want to respond to Bill. Yeah, they did endanger the family because of what people are going to do because of the stinkiness of the reputation that what the Jewish people are doing is immoral. It's uh, violent. It's evil. Or you know, they're settling the land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Israel is an apartheid state. That's the way people are going to think of it. And so, of course, they're endangering the safety of Yaakov and his family. That's what he's saying. It's exactly what he's saying. And then the Torah tells us very clearly that. The fear of God was on the, the people around after this story. The fear of God was on the people in the land. They did not come and attack Yaakov and his family. But that's theoretically what should have happened. That is what should have happened. So the therefore is, and this is a little bit of a sad but true commentary, and somebody who was a Satmar Chassid in our call is going to appreciate this. The people who started the country in the government of Israel in 1948 did not consult with the Torah leaders per se. This wasn't a joint collective decision, especially an intergenerational decision among the Jewish people, how to go about doing this land of Israel thing. And there were definitely people all over the map, even though the vast majority of Jews clearly were in favor of exactly or more or less exactly what happened in our history. But the reality is that the Torah is telling us that what's really going to do us in is if we don't have clear conversation intergenerationally and with the wise pioneers of our nation. Because Yaakov's perspective is not only about the cause of the Jewish people, his perspective is about the long-term success and effectiveness of the Jewish people. And therefore, Yaakov is telling them that what they did wrong, ultimately, by not collaborating with him, was to present something that would be inexplicable to most people, even though what they did was actually completely right. And the fact of it being inexplicable to everyone else endangered the Jewish people and their future. That's what he's saying to them. And so therefore, I say, there's no way to justify dealing with hostage takers because at the end of the day, they're using their leverage for their takeover. That is their, that was their plan and that, would that will continue to be the Hamas plan and has always been that the terrorists are looking for leverage for the ultimate river to the sea objective. That is what they're looking for. Our job is to fight that 
But first we have to make it clear that that is their intention. Now, of course, there are people that are never gonna believe it. But I do say that for this reason, I feel very good, very happy, very proud that the government of Israel is taking tons of video footage, passing it around both of October 7th and of everything that they've been discovering since then about all the bigger plans that they had about all the you know caches of weapons and the hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. That's very, very good. It's critical, it's extremely important. But we have to remember that the more that we do to expose the true nefarious intentions and make that clear is the more correct path. And so of course we want our hostages back. And of course it may happen that you will need to go and take over as, as the what did happen because when you you know come up against people that ultimately just want your annihilation, then there's simply you know choice, right? But along the way, you have to be very clear what you are doing in the eyes of people. And I think the reason that's so important is because our Jewish mission is to teach the world the right way to live. One of the messages of the right way to live is that we want what's good for all the people of the world. Another message of the right way to live is that sometimes evil has to be confronted and destroyed. That's true. We just have to make it clear that that is what we're doing. Crystal clear, as much as we possibly can. And so therefore, yeah, Yaakov is telling Shimon and Levi that what they did was wrong in the way that they went about it, even though the actions were actually correct. Because you do those actions after it's clear to everyone what the true intentions of the people of Shechem and Hamor are really all about, which by the way, is another way of saying that we are against colonialism in general. We are okay with the idea that nations can decide to make peace treaties and live together, provided that, that there's a clear understanding of what the deal is and it's adhered. And we Jewish people have a completely different calling, so we can't have uncircumcised people as members of our nation, because ultimately that means we're not living a life dedicated to God and our covenantal relationship with him. And therefore it is a disgrace for our daughter to be married to someone like that. But as pertains to today, unfortunately, our Jewish people have forgotten that that is a disgrace. That's another problem that we have to fix among our nation. It's not okay that our Jewish brothers and sisters are okay with our daughters being taken over by other nations of the world. That's not okay. It's perfectly okay to convert to us because we have a mission, we have a purpose, and we can never let go of that mission and purpose, and it is a responsibility. And when we say it's okay for us to join, to be like other nations of the world, we are abdicating our responsibility and our relationship with Hashem, which is a tremendous rejection of everything that the forefathers stood for and our commitments as Jewish people throughout the millennia. So the bottom line is that building a true Jewish home, which is the preface to this story, and really, I think, a major element of what the parsha here is telling us and teaching us is that a true Jewish home has to be built on the understanding of what a Jew is. 
It can't be built on what is convenient. It can't be built on, you know, they seem like nice people. Lots of people can be nice people, but not living a Jewish life means not being responsible for the mission with which Hashem entrusted us is not okay. And at the end of the day, the only people of the world that has a God entrusted mission are the Jewish people. We cannot shirk our responsibility of that. So I want to be clear that I'm hoping that people are not taking from this class that we have to convince the nations of the world to do what we need to do. I'm not saying that. We have to constantly work on projecting the truth of what we're doing. That's what we have to do while we are doing what needs to be done. That's what we have to do. The more we can assist in that, whether it's us here in the United States or Jews around the world, the better job that we are doing. And I think that that's very clear that what the Torah is telling us and Yaakov's advice for us. So I just want to leave, you know, leave with this last you know, point that is extremely important for ourselves and for our children. We have to show our children that we collaborate, we take advice, we learn from the previous generation, we look to the pioneers of the Jewish people, both in the Torah and in the people who have built Jewish communities today. We ask them for their perspective. We don't just get all hot and bothered by whatever's going on and take action. We collaborate, we take different perspectives as other Jews, which is what the Torah is really all about, especially intergenerationally especially with a father like Yaakov. And the true devastation that came from this, we know in other stories in the Torah, even though, thank God, you know, Levi very much, you know, was able to learn from this and produce an incredible tribe of people. Shimon definitely still struggled with it. Parts of Levi at times also struggled with it. Even the whole Maccabees um, struggled with it because at the end of the day, the tribe of Levi from which the Maccabees came uh, they did great things, but it wasn't the ultimate way to govern the Jewish people, as is another part of the Hanukkah story. So I just wanted to mention those points as we concluded. And now let's take questions and comments. Hi. Dr. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you don't, you want to go first? Uh, I, I just Hi. To... Oh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't know who that was. I didn't see. I get near Shabbos. How with everybody? Hope everything is fine. The only thing I I, I feel that, that I'm not sure because we see that Yaakov Avini did Levi and Shimon Achalkam because it sounds like Yaakov Avini did not want to kill the whole place, and he would have not let them kill only to save Dina. And if you realize the whole they killed the whole Shem, only Hamar should have been killed. So there's a whole controversy why they killed the whole city. But it sounds like the way I don't know why why you're saying that that Yaakovin would have been felt that they did the right thing. He was very upset with that. What they why they killed the whole place, and he got scared that of that. That is part. an approach. Okay, that is an approach. That that his main concern was what happened by killing everyone else. But to that I say Iker Chaser Minasefer because he never says that. It's what some people like to say. Is he, he, he said he said that by the brachas. because I heard very dangerous. No, 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 no. He never <laughs> says did was the wrong thing. It's very clear over there. He says Aru Apam Ki Az the Evra Sam Ki Kashas. 
Now you could say that because what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, I mean, that means that people decisions because they were angry. That's what it means. But what was the wrong decision? It doesn't say that necessarily. I'm not saying you obviously that was the wrong decision. If not, if not, you wouldn't have told them that. That you, no. What I'm saying is that the wrong decision was that instead of being more measured and taking advice and being more calculated and how they make because they didn't want to ask him, but they knew he would say you shouldn't kill them. That 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 we understand. All I'm saying is you can say that, but that's not the only way to learn. Uh, the, nothing that it I'm sounds, saying is it sounds that way. It no. sounds that way that he would have I, I, let them kill the city. How, how, does, it how does it sound? Because, that way? because he would have, he wouldn't have been a, he would have told them at least you're just talking to me. You did the right thing. You didn't tell that to them. He, he told never them he did the wrong thing. Well, well, he doesn't he said, have to tell it to him if he's upset. This question: Why is he saying because you murdered innocent people or because you killed people that you shouldn't have killed? Why doesn't he say that? That's, that's my, what that's, he's saying to them. That's what no, he's saying he's to them. That's well, it's not what he's saying to them. It's not what the words say. Yeah, but, that's all he says. He doesn't say that. That's my point. So what, why? Why would why, why would they be? Why would they be scared? Why, 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 if they did the right thing, why would he? Why did he care? If they because did something that's Torah, you should never because, be scared. Because he put them in jeopardy. They put they put the Jewish people in jeopardy. They did. If they, if they did said. the right thing, Abu Gahaka, Abu Gahaka, What I'm saying is another way to understand. I don't want to. No, no, but all I'm saying is another way to understand is he would have stopped them from killing them tomorrow. Okay, or on the third day, he would have said, listen, we have to figure out how to make it clear what their real agenda is. And if we need to kill them, we'll kill them. If we don't, we don't. But that's a very different thing than saying that what they did was actually wrong. Listen, both the Ramban and the Rambam say that it made sense for them to kill them. Yeah, that, that we know. Okay. But, 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 but the doesn't so sound like was asking for that. Yeah, the the boys felt that they're doing the right thing. You know, no. let's, okay. I, I'll go to a place that might be a little dangerous. Look what they happened to you. What, what, the, may, what they felt. May, may I try it? Yes, sure. please. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Well, I think that, that the wording was very clear that he didn't say, he said what he didn't like was their anger. And if they're going to become the leaders of the Jewish nation and the tribes, they have to make decisions in the right way because you can have the correct outcome. But if your mindset and approach is incorrect, then you will also make wrong decisions because anger is not the way to make choices. It's We know it's a form of avodazara. So he's specifically telling them the way you did it, how you did it, what motivated you, your, your lack of self-discipline and self-control is dangerous. And maybe they lucked out that it was a good outcome, but even but we still saw negative consequences to the fact that they didn't do the right thing if it was the right thing exactly in the right way. And I think he's specifically saying, it's not you, it's your anger that you have to work on and your impulsivity. And and, and I think that, as you said, Rabbi, I think that, that's why that's the wording that he used. And I think you indicated that early in yeah, your- Yeah, correct. And that's how my father learns also. He says that exactly that. He says that the real problem that they did was the right thing for the wrong reason. And Judaism demands that you do the right thing for the right reason. That's, you know, so- that's, I'm going with that too. Uh, uh, may, may, I, may I now interject? Yes, Rabbi Well, a couple of things. Interestingly enough, your father, and I think close to 50 years ago, said the explanation in general that uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a contradiction, but by Yakrish Ad Boam, 
uh, the idea was that actually that Yaakov was receding into the background and that the sons were making the decisions. So that would seem contradictory to what you were saying. But again, just to point that out, but more than that, you see that Levi and Shimon answer their father, Achzona, Yasas, Achosenu. And Yaakov doesn't reply. So that means yeah. they're not doing the wrong thing, number one. Number two, the Torah itself gives testimony. This I showed to somebody. But they bought The Torah is made, gives testimony that the city deserved to be destroyed because it, the entire city was considered by the Torah, not by the Ramban, not by the Rambam, not by my position your position, the Torah itself is declaring that the city deserved its punishment because it was considered guilty of being Matame um, Adino. So the, the the fate that they received was halakhically correct, or even morally correct, whatever you want to say. And number two, as I mentioned, Yaakov did not deny that. So there might be something to what you're saying. They should have um, consulted with Yaakov, but Yaakov is clearly saying that. But the fact that they were doing something wrong, no, they were not. The Torah itself says so. And and you see from Yaakov, the real they give different quest answers to that. But it, Yaakov did not not reply because of disgust. He did not reply because he could not argue that point. Yes, it's, it's I totally agree with everything that you said. Um, I, I just I, I go with my father's understanding, but the responsibility of the decision makers, which they were definitely, they were supposed to be. The children were supposed to be. The responsibility of decision makers is to collaborate. And to take it into account, especially the previous generations. So they know. So even though I wrote to you, how did they know what Hamor was going to say? It was by virtue of the fact that he was keeping Dina, Dina hostage rather than that, what he actually likely. said. That's very not likely. what he actually said, because they don't know. They didn't send spies to find out what he was going to say. Right. That's very likely. Also, just the whole posture, but especially because of that. Yes. Uh, OK, I didn't hear yes. you if you said that or not. Yes. OK. Yeah, I have uh, I have a deep question, and I also have some comments. Uh, I guess combined with both. Uh, I've given this a lot of thought, and I remember this parsha over and over again. And I think we, when LA we talked about this, according to the account of what happened in this parsha, uh, Shimon and Levi decided that halacha, all the people of Shechem were chayav mita, uh, because they allowed this violation to take place. And this is exactly what's happened today in Gaza. They say the Palestinians really don't support Hamas. It's a bunch of nonsense. They're all one. So by that by that account, every person in Gaza is Chayav Mita because there's a collective participation. So that's that's really the, the uh, question number one. Is that a correct conclusion based on what happened in this partnership? Because that was Shimon and Levi's justification that you all participated. You were quiet when this happened. And we see how they treated the hostages when they went to Gaza. They beat up a 12-year-old boy. They did these horrific killings. And it's all coming out that many of the hostages that are not coming back are dead. This one-on-one is coming out. And secondly, uh, well, the accounts of reading I've done this week and the news I get is the vast majority of the people they took captive were secular leftist Jews. I heard from some Israelis who in the Mossad who are, who are from today that uh, some of the biggest pro-Hamas activists who took buses and took people there on Shabbat to Shiva Hospital to give them medicine and food and love and all this nonsense. One of this, this lady, Judas, well, this, this guy, Israeli Mossad guy, told me that he was 
she was found cut to pieces in a trash can. And and the question is, why why is it that we know that the Gezera ultimately comes from Shemaim, that, uh, you know, what kind of a Misa person gets at the end of the day? But when you look at it, the way they mutilated the people, the, the way they committed these crimes is, is beyond beyond horrific. That's my second question is, why did the punishment or, or the way these innocent Debach, these, these Yudim died, they're, 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 they're Jews. It, it tears our hearts out. Why did they have to die such a horrific death? Second question is harder than the first, I think. <laughs> and they're both good hard questions. Um, so the first question, I don't think that we can look at this story and say that everyone is Hayav Mita for one very simple reason, because they actually took as captives the children and the wives. Now, I don't know exactly which ones, but if you look at chapter 34, sentence 29, it says all the possessions, all their children, all the wives, they took as captives and they plundered. So unless you're going to say uh, the word plundered means that they killed them after they took them captive, you can't say that they killed everyone which is interesting. Um, moreover, I would say that according to almost all opinions that give justifications for wiping out the males of that town, general understanding is because they have some responsibility either as leaders or as upholding society messages. Um, and that is um, responsibility for sure more on the males at that time for sure in society maybe even later and therefore it's really about people who also have responsibility now are there people in gaza that are innocents you know i, I don't know would i tend to agree with you that the vast majority are not quite innocents yeah but i, I actually don't know i, I just don't know I mean, like, yeah, I, I would think, you know, you're building, uh, you know, weapons factories and hundreds of miles of tunnels. Like, it's hard for me to believe that tons of people are not involved, right? So I don't know the answer, but I do think that the Torah is careful to leave open the possibility that you're not just going to wipe out everyone. So that's question number one, I think. You want to you wanna respond to that or go to question number two? Uh, no, question number two. Yeah. You already answered yeah, so, okay. So question number two, look, we have the horrible, horrible um, aftermath of October 7th, and nobody can ever understand why, you know, evil happens to good people. Um, now, what you're describing is, you know, unimaginable, horrific evil, not just evil. And uh, we never have the answer to that question. The only little uh, light that we can shed on that question is that we have to remember that ever since the golden calf, the Jewish people are not only looked at as a group of individuals, they're looked at as a nation that is one nation that has ultimate responsibility. And that because of that, we are always at the you know front and center in the world stage. And that each one of us can both suffer or gain the rewards of that nation. Now, why specific people are chosen to be the offering, so to speak, of our nation, nobody knows. Nobody can explain it by the Holocaust. Nobody can explain it by the Inquisition. Nobody can explain it by the Crusades. And those are just some examples. Nobody can explain that. But we do know that because we are one nation, what is happening to a couple of us is really a message and happening to all of us. 
So we, on some level, as a Jewish nation, have been tremendously failing. I mentioned the intermarriage, right? That's clear. Um, uh, we have tons of other examples. We could talk about tons and tons of things. Right? But the, the reality is that these horrors happen when we as a nation, as a nation, are failing. And therefore, we should never ask the question, why is it happening to these people? We should ask them, why is it happening to us? And that should put a different light on the question. Okay, I mean, in a sense, in a sense this is the, the closest encounter. This is the Harugem Malchut. You know, yeah, uh, what right. we read on Yom Kippur, the, the way... Right. The Sadiqim died, the way the Romans, you know, killed them. Exactly. And so, okay, we're going to talk about the sale of Yosef, and we're going to talk about the Sinat Chinam, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but they're national destructions that we've done to ourselves that are manifesting these kinds of results. May I make, 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 make just one conciliary? You spoke earlier, uh, Yechiel, you spoke earlier. We, got, we got to get right around. <laughs> okay. I, I just want to make I just want to make a comment, and and that is yes, the question the Torah the, the Torah remains silent as to who's right, and and I, I would venture to say there is a good reason for it. We are looking today at a situation that to us looks extremely similar, extremely, and yet there may be a lot of unsimilarities, and I think if the Torah had written. Uh, yeah, this one is right or this one is right. Um, we may not be able to make a correct decision later on. That's a beautiful and, point. And, let, let me just and, explain your point, okay? Let me just explain your point and you tell me if I'm understanding you correctly. What uh, Mr. Hussein, Mr. Hillel Hussein, for anyone who doesn't know, longtime uh, friend and uh, learner in the yeshiva, great friend of the family, what he's saying is that part of the reason for the complexity of the way the Torah treats the issue is because it's such a complex issue that it's going to be very hard to say, oh, this is what the Torah says. Let's apply this now, because we'll, we'll quickly jump the gun and make certain assumptions that are not necessarily the case. So therefore, the Torah is telling you, be super careful to examine super, super carefully. That's my understanding. Correct. And, yeah. and I, mean, I think that's, that's a great point. That's what I mean. That's one of the biggest issues we have is that these decisions honestly required that Torah. And, you know, unfortunately, that is the least element of what drives decisions in Israel. And, and, yeah, I, and I, I know many people have said that they've consulted with the great rabbis. I don't know anything about it um, in terms of the hostage and what to do. I really don't know. It. And, you know, I would like to believe that there's more than we see, but you're right. I don't know. I mean, that that is the one consequence. And, and regarding as to I mean, I, I would say, again, this is just my opinion, the, the fact that right after what Levi and Shimon answer Yaakov, it says that Hashem put the fear of the nations, um, it seems to, to sort of tilt the scale a little bit towards they definitely did the right thing. I mean, that, that's my opinion, but that's that's at that point and in those circumstances and so on. And the price to pay was, yeah, we, we don't have a good image. Uh, we, we lost the PR. We, we will lose the PR battle. But unfortunately, that was the right thing. I mean, that that's just that's my 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 comment on. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, yeah, there's more to say about that. I don't think we can look at that and say that what they did is the right thing in terms of the total picture. But at the end of the day, they did enough to still justify being the Jewish people. We need them around. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I would love to hear what Dr. Patterson and other people want to say. I have time. I don't want to hold anybody up. So everybody do what they like. Dr. Patterson, maybe you'd like to go. Joe, uh, um, Dr. Finkelstein is also on. Sharif, anybody would like to go, please just let us know. Yeah. yeah thank you, Rabbi. I think, and thank you again for your, for your wisdom. I think um, one of the most important points you made came toward the end of your remarks when you stressed the importance of understanding what it means to be a Jew. And this is not such a simple matter. This chapter, this Parsha, in this Parsha, there's, we, we find uh, the third in a series of three questions that determine who we are as human beings and as Jews. The first question is, where are you? Second question, where is your brother? Third question in this part is, what is your name? Okay, so this, this episode comes in between the, an issue concerning the name Yaakov, Yisrael. Uh, interesting, uh, Yaakov has been named Yisrael, right, already before this happens. In the midst of what takes place with his, in this episode with Dina, he's, he's Jacob. In the next chapter, God says to him, uh, your name is Jacob. No more shall you be called Jacob, but Yisrael. Why the repetition? I think uh, when, when Yaakov is more concerned about the media or the nations than he is about the engagement with God, then he... he God reminds him of his name, which is Yisrael, right? God is in the name. Struggling with God is in the name. And to be a Jew entails raising the questions that were raised by, by uh, our, our wise classmates here. Why this evil? The Torah is silent on what is right. The Torah, I think, wisely avoids giving us a fixed formula and ready answer. I mean, that's the method of totalitarianism. Fixed formula, ready answer, fall in or you're out, right? Or we'll kill you. Uh, part of being a Jew is to engage in the machlokas. And to ask the question. God is in the question. The L is in the She'elah. The L is in the Yisrael. So I think, I think putting this episode in the framework of what is your name? God reminding says your name is Israel, and I will promise to you right after that says I promise to you what I promised to Abraham and Isaac, the the covenant of the land, which is what we're in the middle of now, right? So those are my thoughts. Yeah, so those are beautiful thoughts, and I, I, you are definitely ratifying the point of asking the question and looking at the other perspective. And how important that is for you know introducing God into the equation, and uh, all the other points were great too. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, anyone else? Yes, I just uh, just to go back to the issue of Shimon and Levi, as I'm thinking, when when Yaakov admonishes them for their behavior. I think it's also a warning about qualities that they have that may re-emerge in the generations in the future. Because if we look at Zimri, 
down the road, why does he get so angry and is acting irrationally? Well, he's a descendant of Shimon and he engages in, in that type of behavior. Uh, in bad behavior, we shows those kinds of qualities are in him enough to make him uh, deeply emotional and dangerous. And Levi, to a lesser extent, because maybe he went along with his older brother, we still have the incident of Tamar and the the uh, the vulnerabilities of his sons in terms of their sexual proclivities. So I think that in, in part, it was about this event and it was also in part for them to try to perfect themselves and to look out for future generations for the types of th uh, dangers which are forewarned by their current behavior. Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely an excellent point. Um, I don't know if uh, Rabbi Phil Nakimun is still on and if he wants to make his uh, other point. I do just want to remind everyone uh, we are having our annual yeshiva dinner this Sunday evening. Um, we'd love for you to join us if you can. And if you cannot, um, no problem. Let's make a point of being there next year at uh, the, the 50th. And if anybody would like any information about it, please let me or Aaron Yehuda know. I'll be happy to send you information. And Rabbi Gil, are you still on? Yes, I am. Oh, do you want to make your other point? No, I, I, well, I sent it privately to Henry. The point I wanted to make oh, okay. was that an interesting thing I had read up from a famous, or he was famous Jewish Hungarian, or rather Israeli Hungarian writer, and he became a Balchuva at a later age. And he said that he was uh, no longer afraid of death because he was now part of Claudius Yisrael. Claudius Yisrael never dies. Nice. Beautiful point. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. Um, okay, so I'm going to wish everybody a good Shabbos, but let me just tell you right now, today we have Alex uh, Galski on the call. We are honoring Alex at uh, this year's 49th uh, dinner. We'd love uh, for you to participate in that if you can. And just want to tell everyone what we're trying to do when we honor various people at these yeshiva dinners is to promote more Torah learning by honoring people that are promoting more Torah learning. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos. Shabbos. Shabbos, thank you. Shabbos.